listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, hey, Northside, good morning. I just, I asked Tyler to step back out here really quick because some of you may not know Tyler. Uh, we go way back, and Northside goes way back with Tyler. Uh, he's been a part of, of, on staff, serving and leading through Christian Campus House for many years, leading worship for many years. He and his wife, Amy, uh, come to Northside. I've been a part of Northside family now for a little while, and just, we've just been thrilled for that. And I just wanted to take a moment for us just to express our appreciation because over the last two weeks, Tyler's been leading and serving and leading out while Corey, our worship minister, and his wife, Leah, are in North Africa. They should be getting back this Wednesday. And uh, I just thought, could we just take a moment and just say thanks to Tyler, to Amy, and just for serving us and grateful to you, ma'am. So... uh so grateful for that and uh, just want to express that. But also, this gives me an opportunity to take advantage of using Tyler right now. So I'm going to have Tyler just turn and stand and face the cross this direction. And I'm going to turn and I'm going to stand right here because... Really, in this moment, Tyler and I, we're standing in the same place, on the same stage, in the same room, in the same church, on the same Sunday. We are hearing the same things. We're participating in the same worship. We're singing the same songs. Uh, We are participating in the same sacraments. Like We're like doing everything pretty much the same today. It's pretty much the same. But here's the question. Are we going in the same direction? You can be in the right place and be headed in the wrong direction. Because if I hear today, I listen today, the same thing Tyler is hearing and listening today. I mean, we're hearing the same message. We're reading the same scripture. We're going through the same text. We're, we're growing in knowledge in the same ways. If someone were to ask us today, hey, what'd you learn today at church? He and I would probably give the same answers because we were in the same place. We were in the right place, learning the same things, growing in knowledge in the same way. And if someone asked us, what did you learn? We, we would express the exact same things. But if I don't obey what we learned today, that I'm headed in the wrong direction. And if Tyler obeys what he hears today, then he'll be headed in the right direction because you can be in the right place, but be headed the wrong direction. And one of the most important things that we can learn in our journey as disciples, in our journey, and it's going to be one of the hardest journeys we make, is from knowledge to obedience. And my prayer today is that we could grow from knowledge to obedience. Won't you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, we want to hear from you. Heavenly Father, we, we want to pray that your spirit would open our eyes, our ears, our minds to what you want to teach us through your word. May we hear from you today. But Lord, I also pray that today we would not just listen we would do. We would not just hear, we would obey. Lord, I pray that we would grow not just in knowledge, but God, we would grow in our doing of the word, carrying it out, living it out, obeying 
your words. It is essential to what it means to be a disciple. And I just want to pray that God today, you would use this moment to speak to our hearts so we can be not only aligned with you, but we can be better disciples who make disciples. And we pray that you would lead us in this journey from knowledge to obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. You can be in the right place, but headed in the wrong direction. I think when we look at the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were great learners. They had incredible knowledge, more than the average person. They were in their religious schools and their religious environments and places of prayer. They were at the temple courts. And yet, even though they were quite knowledgeable, they were not being obedient to the things that mattered the most. It was one of their biggest struggles. In fact, it's one of the reasons in Matthew 9, 13, when Jesus was in the home of what is a notorious sinner, that he started getting grief from the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they were giving pushback to Jesus for being in that place. And Jesus calls them out. He tells them this. Here's what he says in Matthew 9, 13. Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When Jesus used those words, go and learn, he didn't mean just go and gain some more knowledge. That's not what he meant by the word learn. In the time of Jesus, learn meant that you didn't just learn it or have knowledge of it, but you obeyed it. You did it. That was his emphasis. Go practice this. Mercy is when you show loving kindness to people. Mercy is when you have compassion for people. Go learn this. Go do this. Go apply this. They already knew Hosea 6 verse 6. They knew what it said. But he was saying by go learn, he meant go practice it, go do it. In Matthew 7, 24, Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hear, practice, listen, do, obey. That was the whole point of his parable. You know, the one about how the wise man builds his house on the rock and the foolish man builds his house on the sand and When the storm comes, the one on the sand goes splat, and we sang about it. That whole parable. We often, when we hear, build it on the rock, we often think Jesus is the rock. And and while it's that's not inappropriate because biblically Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the rock. He's referred to that way, so it's okay. But in that parable, that's not the point of the parable. It's not saying that Jesus is the rock. It's saying your obedience to what Jesus says is the rock. The one who hears and obeys their entire being, their entire life, it's built on a rock. The rock is hearing and obeying it. But the one who hears it and does not obey, their life's on the sand. And it's just a matter of time before they fall. It's going to happen. People on the rock, they actually do what Jesus says. They they forgive others. They love their enemies. They pray for their enemies. They pray sincerely and persistently. They abide in Jesus and his word And in prayer consistently, they let their light shine before people. They settle matters quickly with their adversaries. They go the extra mile. They do more than is expected, not just what's required. They do not retaliate with vengeance. They give to please God, not to impress other people. They fast. They do not store up treasures for themselves on earth. They do not lust. They do not worry. They do not love money. People on the rock, they're actually obeying those things, like they're actually doing it. They're living it out. You see, your life is set on the rock through obedience. Obedience to what God says. 
That's what sets us on sure foundation. And Jesus says, when the torrent comes, when the flood, the storm, when it comes in your life, and it's going to come, and when he talks about that storm, it can mean just the trials of life. It can mean the the circumstances and the hardships and the struggles that come into your life. It can mean that. When those things come, your your faith is going to be tested and proved genuine from, from what it really is. But it also can mean something else. It can mean the end of time judgment ultimate judgment, when you stand before God in that moment, when that storm comes, whether or not you built your life in obedience to what Jesus said will determine whether you fall or whether you stand in that moment. Our house will be tested on judgment day. Even 1 Corinthians 3 talks about some testing that comes. And the outcome of the test is going to depend on us building our lives in obedience to the words that Jesus has given us. And we're just in danger of spending so much time studying what God says and reading about what God says and reading books about what God says and memorizing what God says and listening to what God says and participating in discussions with other people about what God says, hearing what someone else says God says, that we're not actually obeying or doing what God says. And it's a problem. I think it was Francis Chan that kind of gave that illustration. If he were to go into his child bedroom and tell his child, you know, I want you to clean up your room and leave. And then he comes back later because it's been a little bit. He kind of checks on things and the child's in there journaling. Clean up your room. Clean up, memorizing. Clean up your room. Clean up, memorizing the thing. Okay, at least it seems like they're working on it. And so he leaves and he comes back later and finds them in a, in a discussion with their siblings about the benefits of cleaning the room. And they're making a list. You know, they're in the journal. The benefits of cleaning the room. And he's like, okay, this looks like they're working on it. Comes back a little bit later and, and praying. You know, she's praying, God, give us the strength to clean this room. So they're praying about cleaning the room. But if they don't clean the room, they're in disobedience. And so often in church, we're praying about it, we're talking about it, we're sharing about it, we're in discussions about it, we're thinking about it, we're reading about it, but we're not actually doing what he says. That's, that's disobedience. That's not obeying what he says. God desires a face-to-face relationship with us. He longs for that. And when we don't obey, what it demonstrates through our, our actions is we don't want a relationship with him. We don't want fellowship with him. And you say, Dave, well, wait a minute, we're at church. You know how hard it was for us to get here today? Like my wife and I, we're not even talking to each other trying to get the kids here to church today. What do you mean we're not in relation? We're pursuing him. Well, maybe that means you weren't obeying something Jesus said between your home and here. But anyway, we, that's something to work on. But I know you did a lot of effort to get here. And I know we can go through a lot of religious exercises. But somehow, if we're not in obedience to Jesus, then we're, we're saying we don't want a relationship with him. We don't want fellowship with him. And fellowship requires obedience. He's God. He's our authority. He's our creator. And whenever we obey him, we, we demonstrate we want relationship with him. That's what Jesus said in John fifteen ten. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I obeyed my father and I remain in his love. So you obey me and remain in my love. And if you have that, you'll, if you do that, you'll have joy, complete joy. He says in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. See, your obedience reveals your allegiance. This is the test of friendship. Your obedience to Jesus reveals your allegiance. It is the test of your friendship with God. If you're in obedience to him. Jesus went on to say in John 14 to 15, if you love me, keep my commands. In verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verses 23 through 24, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. 
My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. He's saying your love for Jesus is revealed by whether or not you obey him. Your joy is completely dependent on obeying him. That's when your joy is complete. God making his home in you, having intimate fellowship with you, is dependent on you following and obeying Jesus and what he says. It's determined by your obedience because your obedience is what results in love, in joy, and intimate fellowship with Jesus. That is the result of obedience. We experience the fullness of God's love and joy in our salvation, and we experience intimate fellowship with Jesus. Obedience is what facilitates that. And Jesus is not asking us to do something that he did not do. He did this. I mean, he was God in the flesh. That's called the incarnation. Jesus added to his deity humanity. 100% God, 100% man. It's mind-blowing, is on earth, walking this earth. And when he does that, he's living in obedience. In fact, he's learning obedience. Hebrews 5, 8-9 says, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus went through every circumstance, every season, every suffering, every hurt, every challenge with perfect obedience to his father because he loved his father. In so doing, he became the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world because he was perfect so that he could then impute his righteousness to us when we were not perfect. And, and we, we see here, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. He was tempted in every way, just like us. But he learned it in every situation. Ian Thomas said, Jesus was man as God intended man to be. Adam didn't become the man that God intended him to be, but Jesus did. He was man as God intended man to be. He learned obedience. Jesus allowed his obedience muscles to grow with every act of obedience. His obedience muscles grew. That's how obedience grows in us. It's from one act of obedience to another. Every time you obey and obey and obey and obey, you're growing your obedience muscles to what God calls us to do. And every time we disobey and disobey and disregard and learn and don't do, we're just developing fatty tissue of bad habits and hang-ups, it's when we choose to obey and obey. We start developing the, the spiritual muscles that God intends for us so that we can be who he's called us to be. We can be more like Jesus in every way. Jesus obeyed, and now he commands you to obey. He wouldn't do anything he's not going to tell you to do. He obeyed. So now he commands you to obey. Why? So you can teach others to obey. This is the great commission of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. These disciples who were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, 
They were to obey everything that he commanded. It's one of the most important aspects of fellowship with God. It's one of the most important aspects of discipleship is that we teach people to obey just like Jesus obeyed and we're going to obey. We teach others to obey. We're not saved by perfect obedience. We are saved by grace through faith so that we can be God's workmanship so we can obey, so that we're empowered to live for him, to look more like Jesus, to follow him, to demonstrate our love for him. And if we're not, I mean, if we're not obeying Jesus, that's an issue of faith. And we got a question, are we really in a relationship with him or not? Are we really saved or not? Because saved people are going to obey the one that they've given their heart to. They're saved by grace through faith. And if we're not in obedience, then are, do we have faith? Are we trusting in Jesus? We are in training and we are trainers. We are obeying and we're helping others obey. Jesus entrusted the great commission, not to learners, but to doers. Go and make disciples, baptizing, teaching. That's why our prayer is that every single one of you who's a disciple of Jesus would go and make disciples and that you would baptize and you would teach and you would help others know Jesus personally. It's a command that we receive from him. This is called obedience-based discipleship, where we actually do what he calls us to do. Disciples making disciples measure spiritual growth by how much people obey Jesus, not by how much they know or learn about Jesus. Disciples didn't, the the disciples of Jesus didn't know a lot, but they acted on what they knew. And God rewards that. And so we're commanded to teach others what Jesus has taught us. And that includes both his commands of holiness and also includes his commands of mission. That we get on mission with God and we go and we share Jesus with other people. Every one of us is called to this. Every one of us. We don't have the luxury of deciding which commands we obey, which ones we teach. We're to teach all the commands. So Jesus says, go and make disciples. So we'll keep going and we're going to keep growing. We're going to go and we're going to grow until it's done. Go and grow until it's done. We're going to build spiritual muscles. Obedience builds those muscles. So we'll become more like Jesus. And here's the question that I just want us to ponder for a moment. When was the last time that you encountered the scriptures and you, you made a commitment to obey them? You sat down and you listened to the Lord and what he wanted you to do and you did that. When was the last time that you had a relationship with someone or a group of people in your life where they held you accountable to that? Like not where you just kind of in your own heart thought, you know, I might do this. But you actually had somebody with loving grace, loving accountability say, hey, when we were together, you felt God leading you to do this. How did that go? Did you do it? If not, what's holding you back? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Could, could, maybe we could practice. Could there be training? What, what can we do? Is there anybody that's actually helping you obey it? Because obviously for most all of you, I'm not that person for you. I'm going to teach and preach today God's word. I think there's a place biblically for the teaching and preaching of God's word. And we're going to go through all these scriptures that we read. And and there's a lot that Jesus is calling us to do. But when we come back next week, I will not be afforded the opportunity to look you in the eye and say, hey, we made a commitment to obey some things last week. How did that go? What did you do? Tell me about it. What happened? Did you try? It's not that we get it right, but we tried. I mean, just what, what happened? There will be none of that. 
Oftentimes, we can go to a Sunday school class, a growth class on a Sunday morning, and we can learn and gain all kinds of information, and we can leave, and we can be convicted, and we can apply it to our lives, and we'll learn a lot. When we come back the next week, oftentimes, in, in most instances in our classes, there's not an opportunity to say, what did you do? How did you do it? How did it go? Did we do what we said we were going to do? Did we follow what God said this week? And it's a missing component. Oftentimes in our life groups that meet during, in our homes and throughout the week, traditionally, that's not been an element of life group. Hey, let's look back to what last week, what we read and what we said we were going to do and the things God let us do and did you do it? How did it go? Any kind of loving accountability. So oftentimes when you try to introduce that into a group where that's not been present before, you're going to have some people like, no thanks. Like, that's not what I signed up for. As a church, we would love to see more and more people moving in that direction. And I'm going to show you here in a little bit, a little bit later, what kind of group could be started where it actually does those kinds of things. Where we emphasize not just knowledge, learning, but actual obedience to it. Where we don't just leave and go, you know, that was a good sermon. Or, you know, I didn't really care for that sermon. Or, you know... it would have been better if you could have had, if it could have been more funny or that would have been better if you'd had more, you know, we evaluate the things we experience or hear. But I think really the only thing this is about is are we obeying what Jesus said? Are we committed to that or not? Is it knowledge-based or is it obedience-based? James one twenty two says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In verse 25, not forgetting what they have learned, what they have heard, but doing it. They'll be blessed in what they do. When we do not obey the word, the text says we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves because we think we're doing something spiritual. We think we're doing something religious. We think we're getting closer to God because we read his word and we prayed and we spent some time with him. But if we don't actually do it, the scripture says you're deceived. You're not in fellowship with God. You haven't gotten closer to God. You've been deceived in that way. Because the only way we enter into close relationship with God is if we are obeying what he says. We do what he says. And I know we're struggling with this because in the book Unchristian, Barna's research reported that 65% of 18 to 42-year-olds in America, so that 65% of 18 to 42-year-olds have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ and say that that decision is still important to them. That commitment is still important to them. When I read that, I thought, oh, wow, that's even better than I thought. 65% say they've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, and that commitment is important to them. But in the research, as they asked more questions, they discovered that even though they said that, things like this were revealed. Only 23% of those people say they're commit, who say that they're committed to Jesus believe that sex outside of marriage is wrong. Just 23%. In other words, I... I've made a personal commitment to Jesus. I say it's still important to me, but I actually don't believe or live or think or act or in the way that Jesus actually said. I mean, I don't do it. Only 13% said getting drunk is a sin. Only 13%. Even though the Bible is very clear that drunkenness is a sin. And the list goes on. And so if 65% have made the commitment, but most of them aren't committed to Jesus in er every area of their lives, isn't that just an example, another modern-day example of people saying, Lord, Lord, but not 
doing what he says. I mean, Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said Lord twice? Lord, Lord. There's multiple times in Scripture where a name is used twice for emphasis. It's almost like Jesus is saying there are some people who are like, you know, I'm close, we're close, fellowship, you know, Lord, Lord, closeness, intimacy, fellowship, we're there, I'm with you, God. Almost like they're overemphasizing it. And he's like, why why would you ever say that when you don't do what I say? We're not in intimate fellowship. We're not close. This is not relationship. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven because they're not in obedience to what I say. They're not living according to what I've told them to do. So like in 1 John 2, 1 through 6, he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We are saved by grace through faith, by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His blood shed on the cross pays the price for our sins. We're not saved by earning it. We learned that last week, right? You don't earn it. No, we are heirs because of Jesus. So don't waste it. That was last week. So we're saved by grace. But people who are saved by grace through faith, they do what Jesus says to do. They bear fruit in their lives. They abide in Jesus and remain in him. They keep his commands because they belong to him. They love him. They want friendship with him. You can't say you're saved and not want friendship with God. That's a dichotomy. Disciples who make disciples, they obey him. Roy Moran, the author of Spent Matches, he talks about disciple-making movement and strategies. And he says, you know, there's six key characteristics when you see disciples making disciples, churches reproducing churches, movements reproducing movements. He says they're God-ordained. They're spirit-dependent, dependent on the Holy Spirit. They are Bible-centered They are obedience-focused. That's what we're talking about today. They're obedience-focused. They are discover-based, meaning people are reading and discovering the Word of God together. They're not just waiting for someone to give it to them. It's much more memorable that way. It's discover-based, and it's disciple-driven. Not not preacher-driven, not one-person-driven, but every disciple is driven to make disciples. That's what we see in these movements around the world where disciples are making disciples. And we desperately need that. And it's going to start with you spending some time with the Lord, listening to him, engaging the Lord in scripture, hearing what he has to say to you in prayer, and then obeying what he says, doing what he did. And I think there's some tools that can help us do this better as a church. And here's one of them. It, it's, a, it's a tool that, that's called SOAPS. It's an acronym. SOAPS. S-O-A-P-S. SOAPS. And SOAPS as an acronym just simply means that every day you're going to read Scripture. You're going to engage with the Lord and listen to Him and hear what He says to you, Scripture. And then you're going to observe that Scripture. 
So you read the scripture and you note those key words and phrases, but when you observe it, it means like, who's, who's the author speaking to and what is the intended point and what's the purpose of this? Make those observations of the text. What's going on? And then A is for apply. You apply the text. How can you apply this to your own life? You can use SPEC, that acronym, to help apply it. Is there a sin to confess, a promise to claim, an example to follow, or a command to obey? And so we, we apply it to our lives. How does God want us to, to obey this, carry it out? And then we pray, and we ask God to reveal to us, reveal to us what he would have us to do, reveal to us, give us strength to obey, give us strength to repent, give us strength to do what he do. We confess, we, we pray for his help. And then the S is share. Who are we going to share this with this week? Who's something to share it with? For a long time, SOAP was an acronym, but what was missing was the S at the end. We, we don't just study it for ourselves. We obey it and we share it with others. This is what disciple-making requires. Two weeks ago, Corey, our worship minister, John, our small group involvement minister, Kylan, one of our workers, and myself, we went to Restore Church in Denver, Colorado. We were talking with the leadership there. We met with Ron Johnson, who was the founding pastor there. We just, we just wanted to see how they are making disciples who make disciples. They're doing things in three different strands that are leading to some movement. And so we got to sit with them. Just one of the things that applies to what I'm talking about right now that I gained from that is they use soaps a lot in their church, and they encourage everybody to do this every day. But one of the things I thought was really good, because I saw Ron Johnson do this, is, is he, uh, he would text or message, however they used it, his soaps to the people that he was discipling or reaching out to. And so he would share his soaps for the day, the scripture he read and his observation, some application and a prayer. And then he shared it with them, what God was doing in his heart and what God was leading him to do. So that there was some layer of accountability and encouragement for them to hear from God as well, just as God was speaking to him. And I thought, man, what a great thing to do. We could use soaps with our families. We, we could send that out, text it out to our families in a group text. We could send it out to people that we are discipling. We, we care about what God's doing in our hearts. It could be one way to share it with others. and It could be a coworker, a friend, whoever. But as followers of Jesus, we've got to be reading Scripture, sharing it with others, obeying Jesus, seeing Jesus, and sharing what God is doing in our lives. Sharing, the sharing part is essential. It's critical. If we're not sharing the gospel with others or sharing his word with others, then we're not being obedient to Jesus. And last year, I'll never forget this, uh, Corey last year, he shared a quote from Nick Ripkin from his book, The Insanity of Obedience. And in this book, this guy who had spent 20 plus years on the mission field was talking about persecuted believers, and he compiled the patterns that he saw of those who have not faced opposition, but have, excuse me, I said that backwards, who have not only faced opposition, but who obeyed to the very end of their lives. These are people who were persecuted, who obeyed the very end of their lives, and it produced churches that multiplied. And he was looking at this, and here's what he wrote. And this is horrifying. This is scary, what he wrote. And I want us to, it'll be on the screen here. You can follow along. He said, as strange and horrifying as it sounds, we came to realize that believers could be unwittingly complicit. Uh, complicit. That means unknowingly, uh, not even realizing that they are involved with the persecutors. By simply refusing to share their faith. Just like persecution, the refusal to share the faith denies people access to Jesus. It was a startling thought to realize that the persecutors' use of violence to inhibit the faith and the believers' refusal to speak openly of Jesus 
equaled the same result. This is why at Northside we are encouraging and training people into a process of Bible discovery that leads them not just to learn, but to obey and to share and to train others. It's why we are in a process of helping disciples make disciples to take ownership for things they haven't taken ownership of before. That's why one of the models we are encouraging people to start using is the three-thirds model that's resulted in disciples making disciples all around the world. In movements that are happening around the world, they have basically this very form being used, and it's multiplying disciples. And one of the biggest differences between this model and the way most of us do Bible study is it's obedience-based, obedience-focused. And the other way is that it's discovery-based. In other words, people are reading the Scripture and discussing and learning and growing in it together, not just being spoon-fed or taught it. And so doing, they own it. They remember it. You're going to remember so little of what I say today. I've read a lot of Scriptures today. There's going to be some more to come. And when you leave today, you're like, yeah, what was that Scripture? What did it say? I could probably tell you all of them right now, but you wouldn't. Why? Because you haven't been thinking on it or wrestling with it. You just heard it. That's why you remember such a small part of a sermon. But people who are in Discovery Bible Study, man, they're, they're growing. And, and we'd love to see more people do this. It's, it leads you into something that's called simple church. If you do this, you basically got a simple church. It's not complicated. It doesn't require budgets and buildings and lights and whatever else. You can just, it's something you do with a, a group of people, but it multiplies disciples. It's effective. And we'd love to see more people involved in simple churches. And this graphic that we'll put up is something you can access on our website at northsidechristianchurch.net. And I just want to walk through this really quick. Some of you are are familiar with this. It's the third session of our disciple-making training. We talk about the three-thirds method. And there's some major differences in this compared to what we typically do. Typically with the three-thirds, you spend a third of your time looking back, a third of your time looking up, and a third of your time looking forward. A third of your time is looking back, and you do that with a check-in and a check-up. The check-in is, man, what are you grateful for? What, what, what are you grateful to God for? And second thing is, man, what, what challenges, hardships are you going through? What needs do you have? And then how can we pray through those things? It's giving care and prayer for each other. That's your check-in. And then there's this element called check-up, and that's what's missing for most of our groups. People who are willing to enter into a three-thirds group are willing to participate with this. A checkup goes something like this. How have you obeyed what you wrote down and what we talked about the last time we were together? How did that go? Who did you share the gospel with this week? Who did you train? What hindered you? What, what prevented it? Or what, how, how can we help? Did you share God's story? What was it like? This isn't getting on you. It's just loving. I can't, where we just talk openly about that so we can encourage each other to do what Jesus has told us to do. It's a checkup cast a little vision about why we're meeting, and then we do a look up. This is where we open up the scripture, and we pray for God to open our hearts and minds to what he says, and we read it twice, and then we retell it in our own words, because we're we're trying to get this in our memory bank. And then when we do that, we discuss it. And as we discuss it, we're looking at what does this passage say, and what's it say about God? What's it say about people? And you can use speck as an acrostic. Is there a sin to confess, a promise to claim? Is there an example to follow or a command to obey? What, What is the word saying? What's God saying to us? And you use that time to really observe and see what it says. 
And then the last three-thirds of your time together is looking forward, where you pray, God, reveal to us what you would have us to do in light of what we've learned from your word. How would you want us to obey? How could we apply this and carry it out? And that's where we ask God to reveal to us, who could I train with this? Who could I train three-thirds with? Who could I share the gospel with? Who could I share what I learned today with? Who could I do that this week? And, And we start praying for that. And when we do this, the Bible is the curriculum, the Holy Spirit is the teacher, and reproduction, multiplication is the result. It's happening all around the world. And when you let people discover what God's Word says, they remember it. It's, it's important. They grow. And one of the reasons they're growing is because of the focus on obedience. We should want loving accountability, grace-filled accountability. How can we pray for you? How can we help you? We long for this. And as you think about who you could do this with, maybe you need to start going back to something we talked about a long time ago called your live, work, learn playlist. Your live, work, learn playlist. The people you live with, work with, learn with, if you're in school or whatever, and the people that you, you play with in life, you do life with. Who are these people that God's already put around you? This is your oikos. This is your family relationships and your work relationships, your, your community relationships. Who, who might be spiritually interested and open that you could invite them into a three-thirds study and actually do this Bible study with them. Because if you can get somebody who is not yet a believer and they're open to studying God's word with you and you start doing the three-thirds model with them, they're immediately going to come in with the DNA that is memorable and replicable and it's simple. And that's our prayer. You could go into the harvest and just start this with an unbeliever and help them do it with some other people in their live, work, learn, play list and invite them into that. And then you could do it with people in the church too, people you know. You could start doing this together. It would make us better disciples. Then each of us could be looking for someone else to do this with. We could actually be in a simple church and help start a simple church where we actually start multiplying disciples. Disciples who make disciples. We want that to be in our DNA and who we are. My friend Christy was sharing news about some believers who've been persecuted in North Africa. And in this video that she sent out, she said, I wanted to update you on a current situation in North Africa and ask for your prayers. And she was highlighting the severe persecution that was faced by their co-workers and, and some of their newer believers. She said, one of our co-workers was physically attacked and suffered a fractured leg, yet continues to serve. Additionally, some of the newer believers have been kicked out of their homes Despite these challenges, they remain steadfast in sharing their faith with others. I urge you to join in prayer for the persecuted church in North Africa. Let us ask God to give them strength, increase their faith, and provide them with hope and peace during this difficult time. And I'm looking at this just going, man, how do people do that? How do they, these new believers who are getting kicked out of their homes, they continue to share their faith? Something that most Christians in American churches have never done. They haven't actually shared the gospel with someone else. So many of them haven't. Why do they do this? Because from the get-go, they're already doing these very things we're talking about. They're being obedient to Jesus. They're, they're in discovery Bible study methods where they're listening to the commands of Christ and obeying them. And they're having loving accountability. They're having obedience conversations, things a lot of us don't want to have. But because of it, they're not only following Jesus and loving Jesus and in fellowship with Jesus, they're helping other people know Jesus. They're disciples. That's what disciples do, who make disciples. And that is our prayer, that we would go from learning more, having more knowledge, to actually obeying, actually doing, actually going, actually making disciples, 
doing what God has called us to do. And that will reveal your allegiance. It is a test of friendship with God. It results in love, joy, and intimate fellowship coming into your life with Jesus. It will set your life on the rock, on the foundation. It'll make sure you're headed in the right direction because you're in the right place and you're being obedient to Jesus. And I want to just take a few moments today just to meditate and reflect on what this might look like. We learn, we hear, we listen, we get right thinking, and then we actually do it. And so I'm just going to invite you, the lights are going to dim, and we're just going to take some moments of meditation here. Tyler, in fact, is going to be walking us through some of this moment together, where you ask yourself, what's God calling us to do? How are we going to apply this? Who are we going to share this with? Who could we train this model with? What would it look like? It's just a moment for you to reflect and to make some decisions. And after we have this time, I'm going to be stepping over here to decision point. I'd love to meet and pray with you there. Our prayer team will be at the sides of the room. We'd love to let that be a time to pray together and talk about what it is God's moving in your heart for you to do. Of course, if you're watching online, you can do that as well with the information on the screen. And then as you leave today, one of the things Jesus commands us to do is to give. And to give generously. And this is an opportunity for you to give to the Lord. And there's boxes at the back of the room. And this is an act of worship between you and the Lord. Where you can be obedient to him in this way. And of course you can give with the information that's on the screen. But we just want this to be a moment right now. We just hear from the Lord. So we can do what he says. So as you meditate and reflect on this. Let's listen and reflect on this as Tyler leads us. Wayne shared a lot of scripture with us this morning. I'm going to share a few more. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our response to the mercy and the grace of God shown to us through Jesus, accomplished for us in his sacrifice on the cross. Our response should be surrender and obedience, offering our bodies as living sacrifices. And then Paul goes on to say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sometimes I think we need a system reboot for our minds because so often we fixate on the things of this world. So often we get into these anxious, broken, sinful thought patterns that actually keep us from obeying Jesus, that keep us from walking in his ways and making disciples who make disciples. The Bible talks about setting our minds on different things. In Colossians 3, it starts by saying, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. And Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The Bible calls us to set our minds on things above, to dwell on these eternal and good things. And that this aligns with our obedience and our ability to walk with Jesus. And so, in an effort to allow God to renew our minds and our hearts this morning, we're going to have a guided meditation time through that passage, Philippians 
4.8. And so um, what we're going to do is as you're seated, I feel free to close your eyes, bow your heads if you want, or, or look around the room. But as the Holy Spirit leads you, we're going we're gonna to prompt you with some of these different things to think about, to renew our minds, to set our minds on the things of God, to set our minds on things that are good and true so that we can walk in obedience with minds and hearts aligned with him. And so to start that, just as you're seated, let's meditate on whatever is true. And so just for the next few moments, think about and dwell on what is true. Things like God is holy. God is love. You are loved and forgiven in Christ. Think about whatever's true. Now let's think about whatever is noble and right. Noble and right. Things like God's righteousness and his people doing justice, serving one another. Those things are noble and right. Christ's sacrifice for us. So as the Spirit leads, meditate on things that are noble and right. Now let's think about what is pure and lovely. Whatever is pure and lovely. Like someone giving their life to the Lord, surrendering in baptism. Or love between family, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Even the beauty of God's creation and what he's made. Think about whatever is pure and lovely. lastly, let's think about whatever is admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Jesus in his glory is praiseworthy. Walking in step with the Holy Spirit is admirable. Let's think about whatever is 
admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Lord, help us to set our minds on things above. Renew our minds, Lord, so that we can walk in obedience to you. God, may we do away with the the worldly and the sinful ways of, of thinking and living. May we turn from the direction that we've been headed if we're not walking toward you and instead walk in obedience to Jesus. We thank you that, Jesus, you obeyed the Father you laid down your life for us on the cross. And we have this free gift of grace and salvation, forgiveness and freedom. And we want the world to know that good news. And so I pray that we would truly offer our lives toward that mission. That we would have this, this attitude of, God, here am I. Send me. Send me to what you want to do in this world. I want to obey you. I want to follow you. Lord, may you be glorified in our obedience. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.